0: This is Gina Marie Rodriguez, and you're listening to the Jersey Arts Podcast. Well, it's officially spooky season, and dare I say the best season for a night of debauchery with the Rocky Horror Picture Show's 48th Anniversary Spectacular Tour. On October 25th at the Bergen Performing Arts Center in Englewood, New Jersey, Rocky Horror fans will be treated to a screening of the original, unedited film alongside a live shadow cast. Audience participation is encouraged and expected. Patricia Quinn, the film's very own Magenta, will be in attendance as well with special VIP meet and greets available. Today, I spoke with Patricia about Rocky Horror and their journey from stage to screen as we celebrate 48 years of this cult classic film. Hello. Thank you so much for chatting with me today.
1: Yeah, it's a pleasure. It's great. Thank you.
0: I'm really excited to speak with you. And how excited are you to come to New Jersey? Oh, I love New Jersey. I know it very well because we've done so many comedy. Concert. Oh, wonderful. That's great. And you're going to be yeah. at
1: the Bergen pack. Just the other thing about New Jersey is uh, I have some rocky horror followers from New Jersey who are, from the beginning the, who began the whole thing, you know. Do you? I mean, I add to the 8th Street Playhouse. Yes, Doug Dwar and Lily's peerage, Sal Pierres' sister. So they're all, you know, all New Jersey. Extraordinary. I mean, because they they are the they're the first ones. They were the number one. Like, I, I know the first Magenta ever. The first girl who ever dressed as me. Oh, I love that. It's so amazing. She's one my now one of my best friends in the world. Yes, she's called Robin Lipner, and she lives in New York. She is a New Yorker, you know. So she and her girlfriend, um, Dory Hartley, her friend, they were at art school together, and uh, then they went to Rocky Horror. Dory Hartley became Frank, and Robin, her chum, became um, Pat. And and Dory Hartley was employed by Lou Adler, and... Um, to play Frank at many uh, conventions and things that he set up when Tim Curry couldn't wasn't available to do it, and Dory Hartley is a reincarnation of Tim Curry. She's amazing. I mean, she has exactly the voice, everything. And do you think it is him? So when we did a, like a, the twentieth anniversary, I think we did an anniversary in Vegas with Lou. Um, Lou Adler, the producer, and he employed Dory to be um, Tim. That's so good.
0: So that was for the 20th anniversary. Can you believe we're almost up on 50th anniversary?
1: Well, I celebrated 50 in London a couple of weeks ago. I was even on the BBC News, as you know, talking about Rocket. I, BBC News asked me to interview me. I couldn't believe it. So I'm in the middle of the war and bullets and whatever. And in between that and Elon. Musk And I thought, what am I doing here? Talking about Rocky Horror in the middle of all this, you know, this actual news. And uh, he said, well, you're here to lighten our spirits, Pat. (laughs) And it was uh, because everyone knows it's the 50th anniversary in England because the stage show began in 73. So it's 50 years there, you see, not the film. I mean, the the film was made uh, two years later. I can't believe it. It's beyond me. It's astounding, if I dare say that word. (laughs) Every time I say things, suddenly it's a Rocky Horror line, you know, not intentionally. The other night, it really hit me hard that I thought this is beyond, beyond, beyond belief.
0: I'm not sure if you'd uh, come across this article or not, but there was an article in 2020 entitled The Rocky Horror Picture Show, The Film That Saved Lives. Quote, I know a lot of people whose lives were saved by this movie, especially for those in the LGBT community. It's a place where they could be themselves and find people who were their family. I don't want to give that up. I want people to still have a place to be. And this was in regards to the lockdown. That's what he was speaking about, that he was worried that people weren't going to be able to celebrate Rocky Horror in the same way. But my question for you is, how does it make you feel to know that this film has been a literal lifesaver for so many people?
1: Well, it is extraordinary because we certainly didn't set out to be a lifesaver. We were doing sex, drugs, and rock and roll, just normal, you know. I mean, what people then got from it and uh, what happened has been beyond belief, you know. I mean, I don't think uh, we weren't out. I, I mean, I'm talking from the stage show when it began. You know, we weren't aware there was a message. Do you understand? I do. We weren't. We weren't doing it for a message. We were doing a show, uh, which was like, tell, say again, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. It was a rock and roll show. You know, that was it. Well, it was very
0: convenient that it ended up
1: having a message for so many. Well, I'd say it's more than convenient. <laughs> <laughs> that might have, might not have been the best word. We didn't begin ever thinking there would be a message. You know. Unless Richard O'Brien had that idea somewhere, but we never knew about it.
0: Maybe it was subconscious when he was writing.
1: Well, it was transsexuals, wasn't
0: it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm yeah, sure quite. that helps a lot of people today. Yeah. Did you know or had you heard about these uh, pandemic-induced virtual Rocky Horror Parties? The There was a Zoomy horror quarantine show. People were still dressing up in their living rooms and reenacting the entire movie during lockdown. Good Lord, really? Yeah. Oh, I'd like to have joined in. What fun. I was going to ask you if you had. I'd never heard of this, no. It's important. People have been doing this for a long time. They didn't want to let it go when the lockdown happened. Yeah, but I'm a bit jealous. I was sitting there all on my own. <laughs> I'm a little sorry that I told you about it then. <laughs> you mentioned the stage show before and I'm curious how much of the stage character made her way to the movie and what was crafted anew for the film.
1: Well, camera angles were crafted anew. I mean Magenta's a very small part. She doesn't have a lot to say. and um There were a few extra things added at the end. Some of that you know, but... um I mean, when I I actually accepted the role um, when I auditioned for the stage show because I'd heard they played science, the song "Science Fiction" to me and asked me if I could maybe sing along. They were auditioning me, and I heard that song, and I went out from that audition and went skipping down the King's Road, thinking that song's fantastic. I don't know why it struck such a chord with me, but I just thought, wow. And I was um, really thrilled somehow. And also. And then I got home and my agent said, they want you to do it. Within half an hour, they rang and said, they wanted to do it. I said, that's fantastic. He said, but you haven't read the script yet. I said, I don't care. I heard the song. I want to do that song. And he said, well, listen, Pat, go and get the script and check it out first. And also, he wasn't interested in me doing that because he, we were getting 18 pounds a week and 10% of that wasn't going to... Buy him lunch, so <laughs> he wasn't happy about it. And I said, What is this thing about? Do you know? And he said, I think it's something about a circus. I said, Really? And I've worked out. I've been in this circus ever since. <laughs> <laughs> That's an apt description. That's what he said. I think, it, but he didn't know what it's about. I mean, that was, I don't know how he came up with that.
0: You, You had mentioned that none of you knew that this story was going to be received the way it was. Did you have any idea when the adaptation was happening, when you went from stage show to film, did you expected to be well received or because we know no. that it was critically panned when it first came out but then it became the phenomenon that it is and i'm wondering if you had any idea yeah
1: no well the point no, the point is this that it's not that it was panned when it came out i mean two years later yes and it was a sleeper i mean i went to the first night of it in london at the less Leic- leicester square in a little cinema there not a big cinema little and I was coming out, Little Nell and I sat together at that. And um, I personally, I'd ne- and it's the first time I saw it, and I personally loved it. And I thought, wow, that's wonderful. And then we were coming out and the crowd were all talking and they're all mo- some of them saying, oh, no, and they, they generally didn't like it particularly. And all talking about the show was so much better. Extraordinary to me, because I thought it was brilliant, the film, when I first saw it. I was uh, quite stunned, you know. Then um, what happened was um, Alan Ladd Jr. and Fox, who made it, uh, didn't know what to do with it. And then there was a brilliant boy at Fox who uh, suggested this should go on every campus in America and play at midnight. And then a strange crowd arrived.
0: (laughs) I love that. I actually did dress up as Magento once years ago.
1: (laughs) Really? Uh, I
0: did. That was back when I was able to stay out past midnight and not fall asleep. But it was a fun time. I really enjoyed uh, being you. Uh, Great. I don't know what
1: it's like to do that. I've never done that, you see. I've never been a fan. That's what I'm saying. Of anything, you know, and you don't dress up for many things. I mean, what do you dress up for? I'm not going along as Frank. (laughs) Sure, I can understand that.
0: Been there, done that. I,
1: I personally have never actually been a fan but what was extraordinary was i went to the actual rocky horror show on the 50th anniversary at the peacock theatre in london on the stage the show and the most extraordinary thing happened as far as i'm concerned it wasn't random shouting out and whatever it was like almost as if it was scripted they were in unison all evening shouting the shout backs you know and it was like it was thought i thought this is quite brilliant it's almost like it's part of the play as if it was scripted almost it made it that's for me that was the best bit
0: I love that and I'm glad you were able to enjoy
1: it that way oh it was stunning for me because they asked me if I would um, be the narrator on stage little Nell did a bit of the narrator and some others and and Brian Cox the scientist he did a bit of the narration but I didn't want to I actually wanted to see the show I didn't want to be backstage and I thought, no, I haven't seen it forever, and if it's its 50th anniversary, I want to see it. I didn't want to go on the stage and read the narrator, you know what I mean?
0: Oh, absolutely. I,
1: I wanted to enjoy it. I didn't want to be sitting backstage waiting to come on and be the narrator.
0: I'm glad. I'm with you. I would have felt the same way. I'd rather watch than, than sit yeah. in the games. I imagine that this would be hard to choose, but do you have a a favorite fan interaction that you can recall? I know you were mentioning some of them are now your best friends.
1: No, I get annoyed with elbow sex. Richard O'Brien and Magenta, Richard and Magenta have a sign. Every time they get up to something, they make this sign together. And the audience shout out, elbow sex, because they touch elbows, right? Now on stage, Richard O'Brien created that elbow thing because instead of, you know, doing your twigging your ear as if nudge, nudge, wink, wink, or you know, tapping your nose about like we got a secret. Do you know what I mean? Now then the whole thing was that then then they shout incest and all the rest of it. Now, Richard O'Brien one day in in um on the screen, um, Richard and I are you know, Rocky's running, going down the lift, and we are throwing a candle after him or something. And Jim Sharman suddenly shouted out while we were acting, said, to Richard, bite her on the neck." That was me." So he kind he did, and um I didn't think anything of it. And then after that, everyone decided that Raff and Magenta were had incest. they were incestual to couple. And it always annoyed me, because there never was a suggestion of that ever, and I certainly didn't know anything about it. And Richard and I did a a radio program uh, talking about the film, and I discussed, and I said, there was never incest with you and me, that's rubbish, was never mentioned, never existed. He said, I know, Pat, that's what made it so good, you didn't know about it. (laughs) Cheeky
0: git. (laughs) You know what? Sometimes directors do things and they just don't explain it to us. But uh, he knew what he was doing because it worked out for everyone involved.
1: Yeah, but not for me, because as far as I'm concerned, I never had incest with my brother.
0: Okay. Totally noted. It never happened. (laughs) Moving forward, were there any scenes left on the cutting room floor that you wish had made it to the film? No, just Barry
1: Boswick's song once in a while. And that, that was because the song was um, quite reflective and very lovely. But it came at a point in the film that Jim Sharman decided it held the film up at the end. You know, it just didn't fit. And he sang it beautifully. It was it's a lovely song.
0: I mean, they've kept recordings of it. It's around. I will snoop. I'm sure I'll be able to find it somewhere, somehow. Is there something that you or maybe the cast as a whole struggled with when you were filming? No, it was plain
1: sailing. It was the hardest work in the world. I mean, often in interviews, one's asked questions like, I don't know, but fun times are the most distant. We were worked stupid. And thank God we already knew it because that show was done in, I think, six weeks. And to do a film, a musical in six weeks is unbelievable and unheard of. And we were, from dawn till dusk, worked silly. And then on the last day, it was over. It's a wrap. Go home. And you thought, thank goodness. And Jim Sharman stopped me going out. And I thought, what now? And he said to me, just a minute, Pat, I want to ask you. He said, have you ever seen Man, the painting Man Ray's Lips? the painter Man Ray, The Lips in the Sky, the lips of his mistress that was over Paris that he made. I said, no, I've never seen that. He said, because I have an idea that um, we could use your lips like a disembodied mouth singing science fiction. And Richard O'Brien had recorded that much to my dismay because I sang it on the stage, but he did it for the film. And I wasn't going to do the film because I wasn't playing the usherette. And they said they couldn't have a usherette because it wouldn't work filmically. It wouldn't work a nashrette singing. You know, that wouldn't have worked. So he came out with this idea of these lips. And I thought, oh. Uh, and I said, he said, so, you know, we could have you, your lips singing the song. I said, my lips and his voice, how much
0: Well, those lips are classic now. That's part of the culture. No,
1: but as far as I was concerned, I wanted to do that song, not because I can – I wanted to play the usherette. That's all I wanted to do. And I wasn't going to do the film because I couldn't be the usherette, okay? And so that was a bone of contention with me and that Richard O'Brien actually sang it and everything. So her point is that uh, when I said how much, I meant, you know, money couldn't pay me to do that. (laughs) Then I went on to do a big um, West End play and suddenly I have my name and lights and I'm on the stage in the West End and I get a call, you know, the lips spat. I said, "Well, oh, gosh, right, okay. And I went down to Elstree Studios and um, it was very depressing because there was a strike at the time so no films were being made. I was the only person working in the whole of those studios mm-hmm. and I was with one little camera crew and... Um, and uh, they blacked my face out, painted a red mouth, and I mouthed words to the playback, and uh, it didn't work. Your head doesn't stay still, singing, a mouthing. So it kept going out of frame. The mouth, they couldn't concentrate it, the camera on it. And they said, um, you see that arc lamp up there? There was a lamp up and it was clamped in above our heads, shining down, you know. He said, take that lamp out of that clamp and clamp her head. So they screwed my head into the clamp, and it worked. Well, I couldn't it... have been very comfortable. Who cared? <laughs> I'm glad it worked. It was wonderful. And my husband kept ringing at the time, demanding to talk to me. He wanted a divorce. And I said, tell her I can't divorce him today. I'm clamped.
0: <laughs> it's the truth. <laughs> I suppose that is a bit of a struggle when you're filming men. You have this meet and greet coming up at the Bergen Pack. Do fans ever bring you gifts or anything? If you wanted something, what would they bring
1: you? A guy gave me a gift the other night of a wonderful toilet bag that he made out of this amazing Rocky Horror material, all the film. I've never seen this material before, and all lined with a zip and everything. It was so beautiful. And the strange thing is, because I'm on this tour, I really needed another toilet bag, so it was perfect. (laughs) So I've got this Rocky Horror bag in my suitcase as we speak. But no, nobody's very few people have ever brought me gifts.
0: I'm glad that you got a a nice new toilet bag. It sounds
1: really fun. I did one of these in New York, in Long Island. And it was uh, really, that's why I've decided to do the tour. It's going to be quite grueling, I think. You know, one one state to the next. Because when Scott asked me to do it, I said, like, what are the sort of the car journeys? And he said, car, Pat? You mean plane? I said, what? He said, it's America. I come from England, you know. I forgot it was a little island. <laughs> I'm a, I'm in the, I'm in shock still, the vastness of this place, you know, just looking at this tour. It's one day plane, next day show, one day plane, next day show. Oof. I should be quite fit by the time I get to you, matey.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> okay. that, that does sound exhausting. I
1: was saying to them, I hope you don't mind, but I'm going to start trashing hotel rooms, you know, throwing... TVs out of windows and things because I began to think I know exactly how those pop stars feel because this hotel life, you know what I mean? It could get you down one sure. to the next to the next. But if you consider that, you know, they do a massive concert, I just go and do a and a and blah, blah, blah. If you consider what they do, you know, because my nephew's in the band Snow Patrol. He's the drummer in Snow Patrol and they did a tour with Ed Sheeran. I suddenly thought, Crikey all across the States. And I just thought that must have been grueling. I thought I understand
0: why they might do it. <laughs> Trash the rooms.
1: <laughs> well, if you break
0: any TVs, I hope it makes the news cycle. I'd love to hear about okay. it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> probably be arrested. Anyway, <laughs> I hope not. Fingers crossed. Okay. But you know, you are know. experienced in mutiny, so why not? Not quite. <laughs> The Rocky Horror Picture Show's 48th Anniversary Spectacular Tour stops in Englewood, New Jersey on October 25th at 8 p.m. at the Bergen Performing Arts Center. For more information, be sure to visit Bergenpack.org. If you like this episode, be sure to review, subscribe, and tell your friends. A transcript of this podcast, links relevant to the story, and more about the arts in New Jersey can be found at jerseyarts.com. The Jersey Arts Podcast is presented by Art Pride New Jersey, advancing a state of creativity since 1986. The show was co-founded by and currently supported by funds from the New Jersey State Council on the Arts, with additional support from the National Endowment for the Arts. This episode was hosted, edited, and produced by me, Gina Marie Rodriguez. Executive producer is Jim Atkinson. And my thanks to Patricia Quinn for her time today. I'm Gina Marie Rodriguez for the Jersey Arts Podcast. Thanks for listening.